And so we've come now to the end of the book of James. What a, what a blessing it's been for me, and I pray that it's been a blessing for you as we've worked our way through this great and challenging book. What a, what a blessing it's been for me just in my own heart. James, come now to the end, and James, is, this is the last of 56 imperatives. Imperatives are commands. James is, is staccato. Like he, doesn't, he doesn't play games. He gets straight to the heart of the matter. He addresses sin. He addresses needs in the church. And he's been up front, right in our face, with so much. He's challenged us to live out our faith. He even says faith without what? Works is dead. Right? Faith without a life exhibiting that truth is it do you really have faith? Right? Faith isn't just I'm giving lip service to the truths of Scripture or I make a profession of faith one time in my life claiming that Jesus is Lord. We demonstrate that faith by living out the truths of the Word of God. That's James's point. And he's, and he's challenged these believers. He's challenged them to, to walk singly-minded with their affections and their focus on Christ. He's challenged them in their, with their minds and their, their wills, their, their hearts, to, to keep their affections on Christ and not to be drawn away into worldliness. He's challenged them to, to not show partiality. To understand that we're all created in God's image and that as the church, we're, there's no longer any ethnicities. It doesn't matter that what we are is we're united together in Christ. He's challenged us about our use of money and riches. He's challenged us to, to bear up under suffering, knowing that God is near us during those times. And that God has a plan for those times. James is a challenging book. Most recently, James has challenged us that if we are spiritually down and depressed, that we have somewhere to go, we're not alone. We can go to the, the elders and ask for help in times of great distress. We've also been, so we also seen that James has challenged us as, as the church to be involved in each other's lives. It says, pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another. The idea is that before we, we go down that path of, of depression and despair, we're involved in each other's lives. And we show enough love for each other that, when, that we're able to hold each other accountable and encourage one another and comfort one another. Well, James gets to the end of this book, and he wants to deal with one last one last hurrah, one last topic, as he ties it all together. He began the book in chapter 2 by saying that simple belief is not enough. Right? He's challenging these believers now to understand that faith without works is dead. In other words, true faith is exhibited in actions. But within every church, within every church, unfortunately, there are tares among the wheat. Within every church, there are goats among the sheep. There are those that grow up in the church, and they heard the gospel a million times, and yet they're not believers. They don't have saving faith. 
They have the intellectual capacity to under, understand the basic truths of Scripture, but they don't understand the ramifications, understand their nature and the truth of their condition. A good friend of mine was involved in a search and rescue not too long ago in which there was a missing child. Now, where I'm from, you, you, there's a lot of subdivisions out in the, in the bush, in the country as we call it, and you know, you walk out into the woods and there's woods for miles. And this child had, was playing and gotten lost in the woods and they couldn't find him and it had been a few hours and, and they, they called a bunch of people together and they, they gritted off this area and they, and they lined people up and they just kind of walked through the woods calling the kid's name and they searched. And the story has a happy ending. At the end of the day, they found this child who was five years old had wandered through the woods and had a happy ending. The child was okay. No worse for wear. What James is calling you, brethren, calling us, is to be God's rescue workers. He addresses the church as a whole, and he, and he challenges every one of the church. Right? He doesn't say the elders, and he's already addressed the elders of the church. He doesn't address just the elders in this rescue mission. He addresses all of you, all of us. Now, you could imagine if my... Buddy had said, well, it's not my child that's lost, right? Or maybe that child decided he wanted to wander away. Oh, I can't be bothered. There's a footy match on TV. You see, uh, or, maybe, or maybe, you know what? Maybe the child is running from something. I don't want to be too judgmental about the situation. Now, how preposterous would that be? But yet we have these same phrases, these same attitudes when it comes to someone who's wandered away from the fellowship, wandered away from the church. You see, the truth of the situation is with every church, there are goats. In fact, just as I said, that James has already clarified, even in chapter 2, that there's a difference between useless belief and saving faith. If you remember that the demons believe in Christ. They know He's Lord. They know He's God. They know He died on the cross for the sins of men and was resurrected on the third day. They know all of those facts. They know those important truths, but they will not bow the knee. The sad state is not everyone who hears the truth will come to a saving faith, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. There's many that even say a prayer of submission at times in their lives, I used to go to, to Bible camp, church camp when I was a kid in the Southern Baptist Convention, and, and you would see many, many teenagers give their lives to Jesus. And then over time, what would happen? You'd see at least half of those fall away. Was it, was it their professions weren't real? Did they really come to Jesus Christ? Or what, what, what was it, just simple belief? Was it emotionalism? Maybe it was all of those things. The proof is in the pudding, as the phrase goes. True Christians persevere, or persevere for Jordan. True Christians last, right? True Christians will submit to God, resist sin, they'll enjoy the fellowship, right? True believers will, will want to what? They want to love God. They want to love the people of God, the things of God. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 17, every good, tree that, sorry, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. You see, 
fruit in the lives of people. And James is concerned. Because remember, James is very pastoral. And we see his concern in verse 19. My brethren... He's addressing these believers. He's coming alongside and saying, my brethren, he's concerned about those that walk away, that leave the fellowship. Those that are in the assembly and they're led away by their own desires and their own lusts and they believe error. Because ultimately there's only one truth. We live in a culture that denies the absolute truths of anything. Right? Postmodern culture, right? There's no absolute truth. We like to live in a world, or excuse me, our world likes to live in a world of gray, right? We don't want to, we don't want to emphasize too much. Is it, is, is it really black and white? Well, we know from 1 John that you're either a son of God or you're a son of your father, the devil, right? There's only two types of spiritual forces in this world. There's only the truth of God and there's error, one of my professors used to say that the greatest theme running through the Bible is the truth of God versus the lies of Satan. You see, there's truth. Truth in its basic definition, as you've heard me say over and over, is reality as God sees it. Right? The world in its humanistic mindset seeks to explain the nature of everything apart from God. All human philosophy is humanistic in its basic thrust. What is, where did men come from? Well, men want to try to figure that out and offer theories. That, what's our origin? What's our nature? Why do we do what we do? Right? The Bible says, well, we're created by God, and our, our, our condition is that we're sinful. That's why the bad things happen. That's why there's evil in this world. Well, what's, the, what's the remedy for that? The world says, well, the remedy maybe is the world loves knowledge. If we just educate people, right? That's the, they hold up education as the greatest truth. If we just educate people, they'll be better. They'll do better. They'll act better. But ultimately, God says the answer for evil, the answer for the problems in this world is salvation, is a regenerated heart. Because apart from that regeneration, man is lost in his sin. And so you have God's truth versus everything else. It's error. And that error, what people believe, affects how they live. They might not have it specifically diagnosed that the reason I commit Sexual immorality is that, well, you know, it's an idol in my life, and I love it, and I'm, I'm, I want to I indulge in the flesh. Now, all they know is it feels good. But their basic theology is what? Live for themselves. Enjoy themselves. Please themselves. It's me-focused. And so James is addressing the topic, really, of, of truth versus error. And he calls us to be rescue workers because we should have concern for the soul that walks away. We see these people, and I've known them over the years, they, they're in churches and they're with us for a little while and then they, they leave. Right? They leave in the doctrinal error following a cult or following some form of Error that sounds pretty good, or they, they leave because they're going to be, they want to indulge in the lust of the flesh. True Christians will persevere. True Christians will, what? They deny the flesh. 
We, we deny ourselves. We take up our cross. We follow Jesus. Now, in this section, James wants to give some instructions. How do you deal with an apostate? How do you deal with somebody who's, who's walked away from the church? A child that's grown up in the church and turns his back. How do you deal with these situations? Well, James gives four instructions from James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. And how they deal with the person who's walked away. He says, first of all, you need to understand their condition. You need to not be surprised. You should be involved, is the third instruction. And the fourth is know that eternity is at stake. Let's go ahead and look at the text and then we'll dig in. Verse 19. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, and one turns him back. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So James says, first of all, you need to understand their condition. He said they calls him wanderers. He says if anyone strays, the word there is, is strays, it's wander. And later on he says that, he says, um, verse 20 turns a sinner from the error of his way. They're, they're wandering. The word there is in the Greek is planos, for Jordan in the back. Planos, we get our word for planet. The Greeks would see the, the planets in the sky, and, and they would see how the planets would move over time. And they would say the planets are, are wandering around the, the sky. They're going astray. They're not fixed points. Well, this word is often translated as deceived. When you see the word deceived in Scripture, it's the same word. It means to, to wander away. In this particular instance here, it's in the passive. So they, they, it's a, they've allowed themselves to be led astray. But even though they've allowed themselves, there's always that personal, individual responsibility. Right? Did God harden Pharaoh's heart or did Pharaoh harden his heart? The answer is yes. Right? It's a both and. Right? We, they've allowed themselves to wander away. It's, a, it's the willful action of an individual to allow themselves to, to be led astray into theological error or moral sin. It's a, and by the way, it's a public falling away. James is addressing the church when he says, My brethren, this is a public thing. It's not a private, well, I just, you know, I disagree with the elders on this particular point. And it's not a, it's not a private, small theological deviation. We're talking about a public break. 2 Timothy 2, or sorry, 2 Timothy 3, 13, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. The same word there. Planos, they'll, be, they'll wander away and they'll cause others to wander away. Titus 3.3, 3, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hate and hating one another. That's our previous condition, right? Being led away, being deceived by this world. Now, 2 Peter chapter 2 Peter says, verse 13, he says, 
suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. And these are false teachers, by the way. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions. They carouse with you. They have eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. They entice unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have, they have wandered away. Having forsaken, sorry, have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. You see, what they've wandered away, and this is the thing we need to understand, when people leave the church, right? When people, we would move away from the faith, they've, what have they done? They've strayed from the truth, Okay? They strayed from the truth. And when you walk away from the truth, you're walking willingly into error. People don't think of it like that. They think of, well, I want to indulge in the flesh. Well, you want to indulge in the flesh, you're willingly allowing yourself to be deceived. You're overcome by your, your desire for pleasure. See, the truth, by the way, again, is the reality that God sees it. You walk away from the truth, and, and there's nothing left but error. The truth is the, is the supreme revelation of God, who He is, what He's done, and His will for our lives. That's why Jesus says, sanctify them in truth, thy word is truth. That's why over and over we encourage you guys, the elders, we encourage all of you to, to renew your mind with the truth. Because if you're not renewing your mind, what are you being, what's being done to you? You're being conformed to what to error of this world. Right? It's, it happens because it's how we think. Right? We accept people's ideas of the way that things should be. You know what? It's a mark of unbelief to walk away from the truth. Ultimately, it's something even greater. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When you walk away from the truth, you're walking away from Jesus Christ. If you love me, you will obey my commandments, Jesus says. If, if you truly love Christ, and a believer will, then what do we do? We live our lives for Him. We honor Him. We obey Him. We love Him. We love His people. See, true disciples will continue in the truth. Even in James, James chapter 1, verse 18, he says, In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth in the word of truth. James 3, 4, he says, If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. In other words, you live your life, and if you're living your life with, with ungodly attitudes, what are you doing? You're lying against Christ who saved you and has called you to live, what? The way He would live. Called you to glorify Him. You know, I had the sad situation where I was in Bible college. I knew this guy. And he was, seemed to be on fire for the Lord. Was a was a good teacher. Very strict, legalistic type sense. But he, he, he loved, seemed, like, seemed like he loved the Lord. And a few years later... He was at one of my buddies' church, and he started causing dissension and strife. And when confronted of it, he basically walked away, began living a life of debauchery, left his wife, rejected the church, has nothing to do with the things of God now. And he has a great theological education. It could happen. 
Judas had three years of personal seminary instruction, right? You can't get much more personalized instruction than Judas had at the presence and the feet of Jesus, watching what Jesus taught, or sorry, watching what Jesus did, listening what Jesus taught. And it's sad. It's sad when people walk away when they choose to follow after their own lusts and desires. There are only two types of spiritual forces. Ultimately, you go truth or you go error. Right? If you deviate from the truth, you're falling to error. But not only does James call them wanderers, he calls them sinners. Look in verse 20. He says, if anyone, what, turns a sinner, sinner is describing their character and their nature. It's a lifestyle of sin because they are sinners. They have a sinful heart. They were born a sinner. This is the thing, our culture, in our culture, nobody wants to, to talk about the fact that we're born into sin. I've had discussions with people, and even with my own family, when you're talking about kids. I had a, I had a, um, my, one of my brother-in-law, we were talking about his son, who was, who was disobedient to his parents and rebellious, and I said, well, you know, we can't expect anything less. He's a sinner. Oh, he's not a sinner. He's just a kid. I said, what do, you, what do you think he's doing now, right? And we, and we laugh because we understand what? We understand the truth. The reality that kids are born into sin. My daughter's now five, and I remember very clearly when she was around two and a half, three, and she started speaking really good when she, started, when, when she lied. I, I didn't teach her to lie. She just did it. I didn't teach her how to manipulate, Right? As guys, if you have daughters, you understand? They just look at you and go, Dada. You know? Like, what? Look at Beth. Did you teach her that? No, I didn't teach her that. They're sinners. And when we just, the word for sinner there is a description of the unregenerate heart. So you've got to realize James is talking about people that are not believers, but they're in the assembly, they're among us. And they may be among us for years and years. It's what we were. Romans 5.8, But God demonstrated His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Timothy 1.5, It is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now understand that we sin, Okay? We still struggle with the flesh. We still struggle with what? The, the old man. So Paul says, put off the old man and put on the new. We have a regenerate heart, but we still struggle with the flesh. And we will struggle until Christ comes back or we die. Unfortunately, we can't be perfectly sinless. It's a lie. But we're not. The thing is, when you talk about a sinner, when, when the scripture talks about a sinner, it talks about someone who's enslaved to sin. We're not slaves to sin any longer. We've been, we've been redeemed, forgiven. We've been freed from bondage and slavery to sin. Paul makes this argument in Romans. Chapters 3, chapters 4, chapter 5, he makes this argument. In fact, in, in 1 John, 1 John is a really clear passage when it talks about what, what we are and what we were. 1 John chapter 3, verse 7. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. Deceives, wander away. 
led away. No one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, Christ, is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning, and the Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. But no one who is born of God practices sin. This is talking about a habitual lifestyle of sin, because his seed, the Holy Spirit, abides in him. He cannot sin because he was born of God. He cannot willfully sin continually as a lifestyle, habitually in love with his sin. That's what James is saying, right? He said, by this, verse 10, the children of God and the children of the devil, only two types of people, by the way, they're obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness continually is not of God. But the one who does not love his brother, he gives an example. And he says, look, this is the message that you've heard from the beginning. So when we think about sin, James is saying, look, these are their, what characterizes their life. It's not a one-time fall or it's not, not a struggle. This is the thing, I think this will help clarify. Unbelievers don't struggle with sin. They love their sin, right? As believers, we struggle with sin. We struggle with the flesh. We, we, even t- times we go up and down in our lives. There are periods of times where it seems like we win and lose and win and lose, Right? The same, the same sins that, that beset us. That we, and you know what they are in your own hearts. Idolatry, pride, selfishness. Right? We go up and down. But the fact that we go up and down, and we, we, the Holy Spirit brings those things to our mind, we, we, we see that sin clearly for what it is as an affront to God, falling short of His glory, and we repent of that sin, right? doesn't mean we won't struggle. But unbelievers, they love their sin. John, John 3 says what? People walk in darkness because they love the darkness. They may wish their life wasn't as complicated. They may wish that the consequences of their, of their sin weren't as evident and, and the, the destruction of relationships because sin destroys, sin separates. They may wish those consequences weren't like that, but when it comes down to it, they love it. They love that immoral relationship. They love that as drugs. They love all those things. They love their pride. They love their worldliness. But James's point here is, is we need to understand their condition. Right? They, they've fallen short. Now, I love this term when you think about sin. They've fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Right? God's glory is His perfections, God's standard. And when we sin, we fall short of that. We fall short of what Jesus Christ would do in every situation. And that's what James is saying, that, that these are sinners. Right? They, they, they've fallen short of the glory of God. They're, they're wandered away. They've been a part of the church for some time, and, and now they've, they've involved themselves in error and they're living out that error. Notice he says, he says it's their way of error. He's not just talking about a theological concept. He's living their lives in error. Right? It's more than just, well, I'm going to deny this particular doctrine and I'm still living morally. No, no, no. What you believe affects how you live. And their lifestyle, it's a lifestyle of sin. You remember our discussions again from James 2. You remember that profession of faith is, is not a guarantee of salvation. It, when, when God comes in and, and, and He 
reorients our life. He regenerates our hearts. We have a new affections, a new love. We love Christ. We want to serve Him. We want to obey Him. We want to live for Him. We want to, what? Endure to the end. There's fruits. There's fruits, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, Galatians. All the fruit of the Spirit are born out in our lives. So how do you know somebody's a believer? They, it, it, they have new affections. They have new loves. They have a new mindset that's oriented to serving the Lord and serving God's people. Someone says they're a Christian and they don't go to church. I immediately have doubts. Someone says they're a Christian and they don't love God's people and say, oh, I've been hurt. Yeah, really? Oh, yes. Get in line with the rest of us. Never been hurt by somebody in church. Why? Well, because we're all still what? Struggle with the flesh. Yeah. The people who say they don't been, they, they, oh, I've been hurt. I don't, I don't want to go to church. I've been hurt. Yeah? So you're, what you're saying, you're a victim. Oh, yeah, I'm a victim. Um, okay, well, I'm a victim of sin. I'm a perpetrator of sin. Right? We all are. We sin against others. But what, is, what does Peter say? Love covers a multitude of sins. Paul says in Ephesians that we tolerate one another, right? There are times when there are quirks in our lives, right? And people are quirky. Everybody's different. Praise God for that diversity, right? I mean, if, if Megan can put it with James, I mean, what else? <laughs> I'm kidding. We're, we're, all, we're all different, right? But we exhibit fruit, right? And it's, it's the fruit of the Spirit. We exhibit that in our lives. Because what's happening is the Holy Spirit's producing it in us. Right? An unbeliever won't show agape love. Their, their concept of love is always self-focused, self-centered. And they have a desire for spiritual growth. They show a humility. So, so James says, understand their condition. Right? I wanted to spend some time on this because you, you need to understand. If somebody leaves the church... Then they were they were they really truly a believer? No. Did they maybe they had made a profession of faith at some time? But true Christians will persevere to the end. And that's what James's point here. If they those who, who have left, they've gone astray from the truth, they're they're wanderers, they're they're sinners by nature. And he says, Don't be surprised for point number two. Don't be surprised. Notice he says, first of all, that they're among you in verse 19. There's, there's tares among the wheat. When we think about what Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. And Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And the slaves of the landowner said, Sir, do you not, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then, how then it does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? And he said, No. For while you are gathering up the tares, you may also uproot the wheat. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to the burn them. In, sorry, bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. There's tares among the wheat, guys. And I, and I say this, and James wants you to understand 
Because there are times when even, even people who are very popular or have a, a following, they, they go apostate and everybody's, oh, how could this happen? There's tears among the wheat. It happens. And James is using a, a, a conditional statement. He says, he says, if. He's not saying there is, is there any particular people in this, their churches at this time, but he's saying that, look, this is going to happen. It will happen sometime. And the longer you live as a Christian, unfortunately, you will see it happen. And it will even be to people that you love and you care about. Maybe even your, your kids or your family members. And that's the saddest of all because we know what's at stake. 1 John 2.19 is kind of the standard passage when you want to deal with this particular situation. In 1 John verse 19, he says, They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be demonstrated that they were all not of us. When people leave... And, and James is actually very clear in the Greek. When people leave, it's to, it's to help us. It's to demonstrate that they're not really ours to start with. It's to show. So don't be surprised when, when someone backslides out of the church, if you want to use that term. Don't be surprised when someone chooses to willingly go into error. Don't be surprised when, when someone chooses their sin. Don't be surprised when someone rejects Jesus Christ and joins a, a cult. Don't be surprised. James says they're among us. And James also says you should be involved. He says, if anyone among you strays from the truth, and notice he says, and one, one turns him back, and someone turns him back. Anyone turns him back. Right? Let him know that, and then in verse 20, let him know that he who turns a sinner, or, or the one, or anyone who turns a sinner. James is making this as general as possible. Right? He's already talked about elders. You remember Right? If you have an issue, spiritual issue, you go to the elders of the church. He didn't say elders. Elders, if somebody goes one is away, you need to chase after them. Now, we do. We take our, our oversight very seriously. When people decide to leave the fellowship, we don't just let them walk away. We chase them down. Calls, emails, visits to find out what's going on. But he noticed, he says, it's not just church leadership. It's, it's every one of you, every one of us. Every one of us should be involved in the process of search and rescue. Somebody goes away. And he says, he says verse 20, he, anyone, you, you, the goal is to turn an unrepentant back to Christ. And it's all of our responsibility. It, it's, it's not right to say, well, well, why haven't the elders chased after that guy? Or why haven't the elders done something? Why hasn't the pastor said something to that guy? The question is, why haven't you? Now, often when the elders, when we, we deal with a particular individual leaving the church, we go to that particular individual's comrades. Usually, you know, he, has a, he or she has a set of friends or set of people that they're closer to than others. And we, we make sure that they're involved. Because who can speak better to that person's life? One, the people who know them best, that are closest to them. It's, it's our responsibility Galatians 6, 1, brethren, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, where it's basically mature, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, 
each one looking to yourself so that you too would not be tempted. So, so you're, you're to look, you're to go after people. First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away and the new things have come. Right? And he says, now all these things, verse 18, are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. First of all, right? We're reconciled. And what has he done? He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Right? It's not a pastoral calling. Each one of you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. What's the ministry of reconciliation? That, you're, that, that Christ is reconciling the world to himself. Right? That there is an answer for sin. There's an answer for hopelessness. Right? You, you want to see men reconciled, men and women reconciled to God in the right relationship with Jesus Christ. We've been given that ministry. You know, pride and complacency often causes us not to care, really. We don't reach out when someone's left the fellowship. We, we, we say excuses of things like, I don't want to be judgmental. Or, or they have to find their own way. Or I have too many issues of my own. I'm not spiritual. I'm not mature. Or, you know, that's the job of the elders. These are excuses. To not have a desire to see a sinner restored to Christ shows a great deal of selfishness and worldliness. Brethren, we all are part of the search and rescue. It's the same, same idea if a child goes missing are you going to blow off that situation when you have a chance to help? So James says you should be involved. Don't think it's, it's an individual thing. Right? And understand too, in that passage, everybody likes to throw it out in their faces in, in Matthew chapter 7. Oh, don't judge lest you be judged. Well, Jesus isn't saying that we don't, we don't judge. Now, judge is just evaluations. We don't look at a person's life. What Jesus is saying is, is he's condemning hypocritical judgments. Basically, judging somebody by your own standard. Saying, oh, my standard is you have, to, you have to do this, this, and this, or you're not righteous. If somebody says that to you, you just need to be honest and say, look, the standard is God's Word. right? My judgments about your behavior are not personal. God's Word condemns it, and we're going to go by God's Word, and yet it condemns my life too, and it condemns yours. What are you going to do about your sin? Right? People like to throw that, throw that back in your face. Oh, you shouldn't judge, lest you be judged. All right, well, I, I know I'm secure in Christ, and I know I'm going to be held accountable, and I know I'm going to be judged by a standard. You're going to be judged by a standard. And the Bible says for you to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. So don't, don't fall into that, that trap that people who want to indulge in their sin love to throw. Oh, don't judge me. No, all judgments are given to the Son. For those who don't believe, you're condemned already. John 3. Right? It's, about, it's about calling someone to repentance. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is we're addressing people who have, re, have, have embraced error, and that live for, for themselves, and we're calling them to, what? to return to Christ. Because there's going to be far more accountability for those that have no, or the knowledge of the truth. Truth is dangerous. Do you realize truth, it, it, the Holy Spirit hardens hearts with the truth and it softens hearts. And that people reject the truth. There's nowhere 
else to go. And when they stand before the Lord, there's going to be accountability for the, the truth in their lives. And how much they've rejected, how much light they've had. Brethren, we're all part of the rescue, search and rescue team. And the last thing that James says, he says that eternity is at stake. Look at verse 20. Let him know, let anyone know that the person who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the main imperative. This is the main instruction in this passage in 19 and 20 is to know. Right? James wants you to know. He wants you to fully understand and comprehend that there is a weight at stake. There's eternity at stake. He wants you to be reminded, and these believers are reminded, of, of the importance of what that search and rescue is. It's not just saving someone from physical death. You're saving someone from an eternity in hell. He says the one who turns the sinner, the turning is, is, the, is helping them to be reconciled with Christ. It's a restoration of a right relationship through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a call to repentance that is heeded. Because ultimately the goal is restoration. When you look at Matthew 18, the whole idea of church discipline is church restoration. The idea is you want to have that sinner who's, who's rebelled to come back. And if they come back, guess what they demonstrate? They demonstrate they really have faith. If they walk away, then how are we to treat them? Matthew 18 says we're to treat them as Gentiles and tax collectors. In other words, though Gentiles and tax collectors were excluded from the assembly of the Jews, they're excluded from our assembly. We're to treat them as unbelievers. And the only thing that we're to do when we see them is to call them to repentance and belief in Jesus Christ. We're to search them out. Because one thing about unrepentant sinners, they're not going to stay, right? They don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear, they don't have to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit convicts in regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. They're not going to stay in our midst. They're going to leave. But even in Matthew 18, notice it's addressed to the church. As an individual, someone you know leaves the fellowship. You need to be chasing them down. You need to be saying, what's going on? What's going on in your life that you're no longer fellowshipping with us? Right? And they refuse to repent. Then you, you bring along a mature person, bring along a, an elder as a witness, not only to help speak truth in their person's life, but as a witness to their unrepentant nature. And then what do you do? And then we bring it before the church and we say, so-and-so has left the fellowship. We've gone after them. They're unrepentant. We're following the practices of Matthew 18. And now we're announcing it to everybody. We need to understand that they've been disfellowshipped. They're not welcome until they repent of their sins. What are we doing? We're drawing a distinction between us who follow after what? Christ and are obedient to His Word and someone who's not. So when the world looks at us and we can clearly say that person is not part of our fellowship. The world says that, oh, that's, that's judgmental. We protect the purity of the body, we protect the reputation of Jesus Christ. Okay? There's a process. By the way, that passage where, where two or more are gathered, I am there also, that passage is in the context of church discipline, church restoration. Jesus is talking about he, He's going to be involved in that situation. He's going to give boldness and support and encouragement 
because you're doing the right thing in a hard, hard situation. But our goal is to search them out and, and call them to repentance. And the idea is here in James is, is, is step one of Matthew 18. Right Before it gets on down the path, you're calling them immediately. Hey, what's going on, brother? What's going on, sister? Because remember, James has already told us in chapter 5 that we should be involved in each other's lives. Right? We, we should be praying for one another, confessing our sins to one another. And if you're involved with someone, you kind of can start seeing what's going on, if they're willing to be honest. You know, they start telling you about a situation at work where you know, they're emailing this guy who's not their husband. You know, oh, oh, wait a second, sister. You're going down a, you're down a path. Right? You, might not have, you might not have actually done anything physically yet, but adultery always begins in the heart. Right? Or brother, oh, what's this you're looking at on, on the Internet? Right? Adultery begins in the heart. You see, we're involved in each other's lives and we address it. And that's what, that's what James is talking about. Before it gets down to the path where they're, they're, they're totally gone, you're, you're, you're involved in their lives. Now, if they're still resistant, resistant to the truth and they keep following error, then what is it demonstrating? And then they go out from us, what does it demonstrate? It demonstrates they were not really obvious to start with. And what's the only thing left? Repent. Believe in Jesus Christ. James has searched them out. But he says, look, we save a soul from death. What is all that? Can we save souls? Wow. Is this kind of the Catholic doctrine of we can pray somebody into heaven? No, that's not it. Look, by grace you have been saved through faith in Christ. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. That's Peter preaching in Acts 4. Jesus Christ is the name. God saves. And the soul is the whole person, the inner person. We don't save. James's point, we're involved in the process. What a, what a, what a pleasure, what a, what a benefit, what a blessing that is to be involved in the salvation of someone. Right? Have you ever had the, the great pleasure of, of sharing the gospel with somebody and, and seeing them come to faith in Jesus Christ? What a wonderful, well, not just about the experience, but wonderful experience, what a wonderful blessing. And then for a lot of us, we're just steps in the chain. That's the great thing about children's ministry. I've been involved in children's ministry. I, I didn't see any of those kids profess Christ, but I was laying a foundation. We used to, we used to joke in seminary that the children's ministry, guys, the children's ministry, we, we lay their foundation and the youth minister gets all the glory. Now, ultimately, God gets the glory. The idea is that it's, by the time they get older, they're coming to faith and the youth minister is the one baptizing them. Right? We're all involved in that chain. Okay? God saves. Well, what is He saving them from? Death. We're not talking about physical death. We all die because of idemic nature, the demic effects of sin, right? What He's talking about is eternal death. Revelation 21.8, but for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's what James is talking about here. To be involved in calling a sinner to repentance, there's eternity at stake. Now, James gives this imperative, and the imperative is no. And usually when he follows an imperative, or he follows an imperative with an action, no, and then do this, he doesn't follow it this time. 
Because he lays out these eternal consequences, and he can, he can imagine that the congregation is feeling the weight of those eternal consequences, and then that will be the motivation. Right? When you think about a brother or sister going astray, what's, what's the motivation to you to go to them? Well, because their eternal soul is at stake. And I worked at a I worked at a restaurant for a little while. We had a fire in one of our, our chicken fryers. And at these fryers, the oil gets too low, the heating elements get exposed, and it happens occasionally. They'll, they'll start burning on top because the heat. Well, it's easy to do, easy to, easy to remedy. Um, all these the pressure fryers, you shut the lid. You cut the oxygen, right? What if I just let that fire burn? Well, I saw one happen one time. We didn't shut the lid, take care of it, no sweat. If I let that fire burn, what does it do? It spreads, destroys, right? It destroys, and that's sin, right? If, we, if you don't address sin, if you don't deal with sin, it separates, it destroys, it burns. And James wants you to, to be part of that search and rescue, to go after those who have left the church, go after, to, to be involved in each other's lives so that if there's, there's issues in our lives, we deal with it. We don't just ignore it. And we do it with humility. If someone is heading towards the fires of hell, we should be motivated to call them to repentance. And it's hard. It's tough. Right? But what's, what's the tougher thing? Living with the fact that you could, have, you could have been part of that chain of salvation and you punted. You, you said, no, nah, I'm too busy. There's a footy game on. I don't want to take responsibility. Because ultimately, apart from the truth, they have no hope. Someone's fallen into doctrinal error where they're doubting Scripture and they're doubting the, the fundamental doctrines of, of Christ and who He is. Then, then it behooves you to address it. You don't have to be a biblical scholar to, to point them to John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You don't, have to, you don't have to have a seminary education to, to point someone back to Scripture and say, listen, let's, let's talk about the deity of Christ. You know, not only do we, we save a soul from death, but we cover a multitude of sins. It's some of forgiveness. Right? What, the great thing that we have as Christians is we have forgiveness of sins. Romans 2.8, but those who, suffer, who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey righteousness, wrath, and indignation. Those are the people that they have a multitude of sins. They don't obey the truth. We have forgiveness. Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, what did he do? He made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Psalm 32.1, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Forgiveness. Forgiveness for sin. What a, what a great motivation, right? To be involved in each other's lives, to call someone to repentance. We have to consider the eternal ramifications of of. Our intervention. And that's what it is. It's an intervention, even to use that psychological term. We're intervening on their behalf to keep them from going down that path of destruction. 
and the results are wonderful. A soul saved from hell and their sins forgiven, just like we've experienced. There's that old adage I've heard long ago that we're beggars telling other beggars where to find food, spiritual food. Look, will everyone respond? And this is the hard thing. Will they respond? Not, no, not everyone will respond. Sometimes it takes years of praying for a particular person. They walk away. True believers will persevere in the faith, and those who have unregenerate hearts, unbelievers, they won't. They will walk away. How many of you ever had a warning light in your car dash come on, right? I'm not asking to raise hands, because I'm also going to ask you, how many of you ignored that warning light for a while? Drive around a little bit. This is James's warning light. Right? You, you see someone in the church and, and, and they're struggling with sin and then they walk away. It's, it's, it's up to us to do something about it. At least if we has been addressed with that person and they continue to reject truth and they embrace error and they live a lifestyle unacceptable to God, then it is clear to all that they are not a believer. There's no ambiguity. Right? We, we, one of the things we, I've heard people over and over is, I don't know if they're saved or not. And you start asking them questions. Well, do they attend church? Do they love the Lord? What do they really love? Do, do, they, uh, do they read the Word of God? Do they have a passion for the Word of God? Do they, do they desire the things of the Lord? Is there fruit born in their life? And they answer, no, 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 no. All right, well, why would you even think they are? Well, I remember when they were 12, they said a prayer, accepting Jesus as their Savior, and maybe they were even baptized. Brethren, there's, there's no magic bullet, Okay. Just, just understand that people, people are going to reject your message, even if you go, go after them, right? But for every ten that rejects, there's the two that they respond, and they respond appropriately, right? And, they, and, they, and when we see that, one, they're true believers to start with, or they, they, they be convicted of their, their sin and they come to faith for the first time. As we, end, as we kind of conclude here, I want, to, I want to give you a few things to think about, and then we'll, we'll, we'll pray. When addressing a wayward believer, there's different passages you can look at. Matthew 18, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4, James 5, all these passages. You, you need to pray. Right? James has already emphasized in the previous section the, the importance of prayer, the, the fact that prayer accomplishes much. Right? The effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Pray. Pray, pray for wisdom when you go to address somebody. Pray, you need to ask yourself and pray, like, is this a doctrinal issue? Is it a minor thing? Is it a preference issue? Is this something that maybe they have a preference on? Like, I like Halloween and they don't. Is that, is that, is that, worth, is that a sin worth confronting? Right? Is there a sin issue in their life? Doctrinal error and sin are reasons to go and talk to someone. And then the second thing is we need to examine ourselves. We examine ourselves to, to make sure that we're, we're doing this in humility, Galatians 1, or Galatians 6, 1, excuse me. We examine ourselves for, for hypocrisy. Am I going to address this in this person's life, but yet it's, it's abundantly clear in my life? I'm still struggling with the same thing. Maybe it means instead of you going as an individual, you, you bring someone along to start with. What's your motives? Do you want to see this person get what they deserve, or do you want to see them what? Reconcile. And then the, the next is, be bold, be courageous. 
Know that, that, that God wants you to address sin. God wants you to address this person. Try to help this person. It's going to be hard. But you're not alone. You have the Holy Spirit of, of God Himself empowering you, strengthening you, giving you wisdom. It's amazing the times I've talked to people and the Lord just brings Scripture to my mind and, and I'm able to share that with a person. Stuff I haven't even thought of in a long time. Take an elder. The person resists. You follow Matthew 18. You take an elder to confront and to witness that unrepentant behavior. And then we'll bring it to the church as a whole. We'll deal with it. Call that person to repent. And then we continue to pray for them. We call them to, to repentance and submission to Jesus Christ. And that process may be an ongoing thing for many, many years. Somebody who's walked away from the church. Somebody who's walked away from the faith. Don't give up hope. No, brethren, that you're, you're part of God's search and rescue. We're true rescue workers. And our goal is eternal matters. Right? Be strong, be courageous, be encouraged. Right? And take the matter seriously. Don't, don't give, up to, give up to easy, easy excuses. Seek after those that are lost with a desire to see them, what? See them in a right relationship with Christ and see them honoring the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the book of James. Lord, what a challenge it has been to our own hearts. A, a challenge we see that from the beginning to the end we're confronted with, if we have faith, it, it, it should exercise us to action. Father, we, we shouldn't just have simple, empty belief, but a belief that, that is demonstrated in our love for others, demonstrated in our love for you and our, and our rejection of this world and all the things that allure us. Father, we, we pray for those here that are, that are present this morning and those that are watching, or they may have family and friends that they need to confront, and they have family and friends, they need to call to repentance. They're, they're going the way of Balaam. They're, they're, they're going after error, after hearing the truth. They're pursuing theological tangents and unscriptural ideas. They're pursuing the desires of the flesh. Father, help us to be bold. Help us to remember that our motivation is eternal matters. Or we desire to see them in a restored and right relationship. It's not being judgmental, but it's being loving. Father, give us strength. We thank you again for this wonderful book that's confronted us with, with so many aspects of our lives that we may, oh, Lord, help us to live out the truths of, of Jesus Christ, who He is and what He's done, so that others would be confronted with the call to their life to believe, to repent, to follow Jesus Christ. We thank you again for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.